Oh, that's good. Hey, how we doing? Yeah. Hey, if we've never met before, my name is Jesse. I'm campus pastor for Gateway Buta Kyle, and I'm glad to be here with you guys this morning. So as Melanie said, what is love? Really? What is it? And why is it that after thousands of years, we're still not able to fully agree on an answer? I mean, John Lennon thought, love is all you need. But unfortunately, Paul McCartney said it couldn't be bought. Paul Francis Webster wrote, love is a many splendid thing. But Bob Marley seemed to think there's just one love. (laughs) Pat Benatar said, love is a battlefield. While Aretha Franklin thought love is a serious business. And John Legend says, we need love. But Tina Turner, she asked a great question. What's love got to do with it, (laughs) right? So what is love, really? And who better to examine this idea than a guy from the New Testament named John, one of the original 12 disciples of Jesus, often called the beloved disciple, or even the disciple of love. This is how John constantly referred to himself. He would write in his account of the life of Jesus over and over again, the disciple whom Jesus loved. We get it, John. Jesus loves you. But for John, it was like, yeah, he loved me, and he loves me. John had experienced and encountered and was overwhelmed by a love like no other, the very love of God in the flesh. And that's why we start this morning with John. And over the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at three entire books of the New Testament. And by the end of these three weeks, we will have read each book from beginning to end. How's that sound? Yeah? Not very excited, all right. (laughs) But for some of you, or most of you in the room, it could be a bit overwhelming. But hang with me, don't check out just yet, because I think by the end of this, you're gonna be pleasantly surprised. And if it turns out that you're not pleasantly surprised, shoot me an email at ricky underscore echiona at gatewaychurch.com. He's going to love that. But the reality is, is that one page of poetry or one page of a letter, and especially one page of scripture can change the trajectory of a person's life forever. Think about it in your own life when maybe a, a lyric to a song or just a stanza in a poem or maybe a blog that you read, it inspired you and moved you so deeply that it caused you to take action. Maybe to tell that person that you love them, or maybe to join in a movement, or maybe just to make a change in your own life. You know, my one page story is actually, it's not a whole page at all, it's more like a quarter of a page, and really it's just two verses tucked away in the Bible in Exodus. I know, it's pretty deep, I get it. But for those who don't know my story, see, I was raised by a single mom. My dad abandoned me early on in my life. And so my view of God was linked to how I viewed my dad. I was always trying to win the approval of God, earn his love, try to prove something. And why would I trust my life to God when in the end, he was just gonna abandon me anyway, just like my dad. 
Some of you may be here this morning and that is you. I want you to know that I see you and I get it. But in reading these two verses, I realized that I was deceived. And I realized that God has revealed his character right here in Exodus 34. It says, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not let the guilty go unpunished. See, I learned that God is merciful and gracious. He wasn't cruel and cold-hearted like I thought he was. He's slow to anger, not explosive and reactive. He's abounding in steadfast love. I didn't have to earn his love. It was given freely and given lavishly. He's always forgiven, not bitter or keeping score on my life. And he's just not just a judge and jury over my life and my actions, but that there was consequences to my decisions and my choices. And so today we're gonna read a one-page letter together. And more importantly, we're gonna let this letter read us. In the Bible, we have five different collections of writings from a guy we know as John. We have the Gospel of John. We have 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And then we have the book of Revelation. Our main focus today is going to be on the one-page letter of 2 John. John was one of Jesus' original 12 disciples. He would have been really young during the ministry of Jesus. John was an eyewitness to the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. He wrote to help people understand and believe that Jesus was the Son of God. And years after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, tragedy had struck the Jewish community in that the Romans had destroyed the temple in around 70 AD. And John fled Jerusalem when it fell to the Romans and the temple was destroyed, devastating the Jews. What do you do when something you've centered much of your life around or much of your worship around is taken from you? What your identity has been rooted in is stripped away. However, the Jews who believed that Jesus was the Messiah believed God was incarnate or God in human form. And his followers who are filled with his spirit are now the presence of God in the world. But why would they think that? In the shadow of the destruction of the temple, why would they not be destroyed? Scriptures point to this mysterious truth God with us on earth, in Eden, in the tabernacle, in the temple, in Jesus, and in the body of Christ. We see in Genesis, in the very beginning, God created humanity. He wanted to be in relationship with humanity, this place called Eden. But through humanity's rebellion, we severed that relationship with God. But then you read a little bit further, and then this guy Moses, God calls out to Moses and says, Moses, build me a tabernacle that I may dwell with you. I want to be in relationship with my people. Wherever you go, I want to go. And then in 1 Kings, we see God asked Solomon, Solomon, build me a temple that I can dwell with you, be in relationship with you. And then we see in John's gospel, 
John writes, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. You see, the temple was not as important to the followers of Jesus because of what Jesus taught. This was also written by John. Then the Jews demanded of him, what miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days. But the temple he had spoken of was his body. And after he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. They believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. How could these earliest followers of Jesus not be shaken? Living in the shadow of the destruction of the temple and still under Roman rule. How could they live so counterculturally? And how could they love so fiercely? John tells us that they didn't just know the words of Jesus, they believed the scriptures and the words that Jesus had spoken. God's presence had spread beyond the walls of a temple in a city in Israel. And what used to be centered around a temple building was now centered around a table. Like the table we just sat when we took communion together. So this is the context we're going to dive into today. And as we read through this one-page letter known as 2 John, we're going to try and hone in on some of what John is trying to teach us about living the way of Jesus together here in South Austin, together in Dripping Springs, and together down in the cities of Buda and Kyle. And the first thing we're going to learn is that love needs truth. This is the 2 John the elder to the lady chosen by God and to her children, whom I love in the truth. And not I only, but also all who know the truth. Because of the truth which lives in us and will be us with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, will be with us in truth and love. So it says a chosen lady, probably a church, but could be a particular person. That's not really 100% clear. Followers of Jesus only met in homes up until 300 AD when Constantine, the emperor of Rome, became a Christian and his mother began building cathedrals and buildings for people to meet in and worship in. John says we are chosen and we get to decide if we want to be adopted. God pursues us and we decide if we say yes. Not about believing in facts about him, but surrendering our lives to him. John loves in the truth, and the truth is in us and with us. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You see, we are in him, and he is in us. It's truth inside and out. In another one of John's letters to the first century believers, we read, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. 
But if we walk in the light, and he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. We should celebrate living in the assurance of this truth while also understanding that the way of love needs to be rooted in truth. So that the love of Christ is the natural outpouring of our lives and not just a word or an emotion that we throw around when it feels good to us. Which leads to our second observation. True love is action. It's given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I'm not writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. Love is displayed through trusting and obeying God. You know, for some of you, you may not know my full story. You know, I'm, I helped launch Gateway Central uh, about a little over three years ago, almost three and a half years ago. And me and my wife built a community there. We're in the midst of building that community. We lost a son. And it was in that time that a community came around us and supported us when we could not do the things that we needed to do. They allowed us to mourn. And I'll never forget, there was a lady and her dad. They came to my door. I've never met these people. And they brought this delicious macaroni and cheese dish that I just, I can't get them to make it again. It's great. It's great. But it was that day that I met Hannah Ojeda and Bob Ojeda. I did not know them. But they heard that we had lost a son and they came to display love to us and trusting and obeying God in their own lives. You know, nine months ago, we announced that we were going to launch the Butikow campus at our 20-year celebration. Many, some of you were there. And we had nine people come up to the table, and some of those people are here uh, this morning. But what we learned really quickly is that we needed to start having one-on-one -on -one conversations with people to really understand what are the felt needs in the community. We needed to build relationships. And so as we met with people, we found an overwhelming common theme, and the theme was to care for the orphans, the love for the foster care community and families and children was so overwhelming. As we prayed through what would that look like, we put together a network, and we launched that network five weeks ago, and guys, we have three families that are being cared for right now down in the cities of Buda and Kyle because of this network, because get what God is doing in our community. It's love on display. John says in his first letter, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we will know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. 
All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Now, I know many of us here today are our skepticism and our resistance towards stepping into a loving and trusting relationship with God, going all in, trusting God with the leadership of your life, has a lot to do with our view of God and that view being flawed. And the view needs to be refreshed or rebooted. Much like my view when I shared about the story in Exodus, my view of God was flawed and it needed to be rebooted. And when we really understand uh, God's love for us, a love that is recklessly extravagant, a love that withholds nothing and gives everything on a lavish scale, that's when we begin to see our lives as he sees us, fully forgiven, fully accepted as his children and adopted into his family forever. God's love frees us from the fear and insecurity that so often causes us to act out in order to get attention or desperately try to win the approval of others. God's love frees us from self-centeredness where we always have to make sure that our needs are met before I can consider the needs and meet the needs of others. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with action and in truth. God's love gives us the courage to stand up for what's right, even when that stand is unpopular. Encourage to speak truth and love to people about who are making decisions in their life that are destructive through addiction or codependency or people-pleasing or anger and control. It allows them to understand God's desire for their life and for all humanity. God's love and truth, and when it's really alive in you, you will always see those who are unseen in our culture and stand up for those who are oppressed and who have been forgotten, who cannot stand up for themselves. God's love and truth can never ignore injustice. It can't stand by idly while a person or a people group are being bullied or oppressed because love takes action. Friends, living with integrity and true character is really countercultural. And living out your faith without compromise takes tremendous courage. Loving those who are not like you and don't believe what you believe, it can be intimidating. But remember, there is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. And finally, the way of love is wise. I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. 
Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. Now, it's really important to understand at this time when John wrote this letter, there was a sinister-like situation happening. Traveling missionaries relied on the hospitality of those to, to provide a place to stay or food to eat and money to travel on. There was no Hyatt Hotel or no HEB on the corner. And early Gnostics or these false teachers were teaching that Jesus was just a man and that the spirit of the Messiah entered his body at baptism but left before the cross. They also taught that Jesus was fully man but not fully God because they believed the body was evil and the spirit was good. In other letters like Colossians and 1 John, we see that the result of this false teaching led to widespread immorality and people abandoning their faith. And John warns them not to buy into the cult and not to support them. There was no provisions around not being kind or having conversations with them, but do not financially support or give into the lies. I gotta tell you, to not fall prey to false teachers and to not get swept away by watered down messages or false gospels, friends, that takes wisdom. And the New Testament authors all seem to agree that loving others and maturing in our faith, that doesn't just happen. No one just stumbles into spiritual maturity. You don't wake up one day and all of a sudden you're spiritually mature. It takes intention. It takes action. So what would a spirit-filled community, grounded in the truth of Jesus, displaying his love and growing in faith, what would that look like here in South Austin? What would it look like out in Dripping Springs in that community or down in the community of Buda and Kyle? What would be the impact on our cities? What kind of results could we expect from that type of community? Luke, who is a disciple of Paul, he writes in Acts 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every need, they, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and generous hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It sounds amazing. And I bet many of us in here today would say, yeah, I want that. And yet, that's not what we experience so much of the time. So what's the problem? I believe we live in a cultural moment where we want easy on-ramps and we want easy exit ramps. We want no drama and we want all of our needs met. 
almost where love is treated as a commodity, where I can go down to the store and I can pick up love off the shelf. And if I don't like it, I can just take it back and get my money back. Or I could just toss it, go to another store across town and see what kind of love they have. You see, so often we choose a community based on our preferences. And it sounds a little more like this tongue-in-cheek adaptation by a pastor out in New York. His name is John Tyson. He's in uh, Hell's Kitchen, New York. He writes, they studied of the apostles' teaching when they had time. They went to fellowship when they could fit it in. They prayed when they needed something and got coffee together every now and then. They were content without and had a low expectation for signs and wonders in their midst. They sometimes came together and talked about generosity, but they kept all of the possessions for themselves. Two out of five Sundays, they came to corporate gatherings. They didn't invite people into their homes and they rarely revealed their hearts. They were largely irrelevant to all people and occasionally someone was randomly saved. I don't share that to, to beat anybody up, even myself included, like, but I share it to ask a question. What kind of community do you want to be a part of? Do you want to be a part of a community that's based on convenience and the preferences of each individual person in the group? Being content with a low expectation of God where our best stories are from the past? or one that's fueled by the love and truth of Jesus, where we are devoted to each other, committed to a rhythm of living together in a real spirit-filled community, giving generously to meet the others and needs in our city and the needs of others all around the world, and seeing people being healed by the hundreds and even thousands, where the best part of God's story that's still being written through us is ahead of us. John was convinced and did everything he could do to convince everyone of the truth of Jesus. And I'm convinced too that love is a person and love has a name. And that name is Jesus. Jesus gave his whole self to us, laid down his very life for us. And we can, in turn, offer our whole selves to him, dying to ourselves and living in the way of Jesus in community together. John wraps up this, this short letter by saying, I have much more to write you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. And I too have much more that I can say, but I'm running out of time. So the, as the band plays this song, just take this moment to reflect. What is love? You have to come to that conclusion for yourself. And also what kind of community do you wanna be a part of? Do you wanna be a part of a community based on preferences and convenience? Or do you wanna be a part of a community rooted in the truth of Jesus?
I just pray as each one of us leaves here today that we leave transformed, that we would leave different than we came in here this morning. 